summer, I spent seven weeks in Antigua, Guatemala. Now, if you're as geographically challenged as I was, here's a picture of where I was. Guatemala's one of the countries at the bottom tip of Mexico. And I was there to, shall we say, para tratar un aprender un poquito de español. But don't push me on it. My trip there was to learn some Spanish, and luckily I studied one-on-one -on -one with a teacher, so I had the opportunity to take excursions into town. And since I was living there in the summer, and I had heard that the Feast of Corpus Christi is a pretty big deal down there, I decided to ask my teacher if we could go to Mass on the Feast of Corpus Christi. And we did. And there's a procession afterwards, and it's a really big deal. Here's a picture that shows a fair amount of what makes it special. First of all, in Guatemala, like many parts of the world, Corpus Christi is celebrated on a Thursday. And so this large crowd of people are all people who arranged to take off from work on a Thursday morning. The other thing is that Guatemala is, is an extremely casual culture. People usually wear t-shirts and jeans to mass. But here, you see they are wearing full suits in the hot sun. A very big deal, this procession. You can see here that what happens is the end of the procession, there's a lot of people in the procession, but at the back is a priest carrying the Blessed Sacrament in a monstrance. And he walks under, underneath this canopy, and he goes from little makeshift altar to makeshift altar that's been set up in the neighborhood, a few blocks surrounding the cathedral. Here's a picture of one of those altars. And he sets the monstrance down at the altar and he kneels and prays for a bit. And then everybody in the procession moves on to the next altar. Now, it's a very big deal to be asked to have one of these altars in your home. You can see this family arranged for their daughters to be wearing matching formal gowns, you might not be able to see that they're holding musical instruments ready to play um, when the procession comes by. But even if you do not host one of the altars at your house, it's still traditional to have your children dress up as angels, as you can see here. They each have baskets filled with rose petals, which they are distributing on the ground as the procession goes by. You also see here it's traditional for a flute player to lead the procession with a drum on his back. Somebody else is playing the drum. There's incense, there are firecrackers, there are beautiful flowers. You notice the men in the matching suits. Here's the ladies' sodality, special candles, and you see the alfombras, the carpets of flowers that are placed on the streets. Of course, there's also a marching band. And then you'll see in this one, this canopy looks a little different. Well, that's because it turns out Corpus Christi isn't just a day in Guatemala. It's a season. And these people of Guatemala love these processions. Every church has several of these processions on consecutive weekends. This one is from the Church of La Merced, just a few blocks away from the cathedral. But how did we get here? This is a far cry from what Jesus did at the Last Supper when he gathered a few of his friends for a shared meal.
Well, there's a couple things to say. The first one is the whole idea of the Feast of Corpus Christi and tabernacles and Eucharistic processions didn't happen until sometime in the second century. I'm sorry, the second millennium of Christianity. And it's a very long, fascinating, complex history of how we got there. And I have this book here. If you want to do a little bit of light reading here, it's called Occult and Controversy, The Worship of the Eucharist Outside Mass. not going to go into a whole lot of detail, but one thing is uh, to tell you about is that there was a lot of debate in France among monks uh, about exactly how Christ was present in the Eucharist. And the way that uh, was eventually settled was that two bishops disagreed on it. Their names were Lanfranc and Berengarius. And it turned out that Lanfranc was the chaplain to this guy, William the Conqueror. And so when William the Conqueror won the Battle of Hastings, Lanfranc was able to get Berengarius and anyone who disagreed with him to adapt his theology of the Eucharist. Well, what do we need to know for today? Well, two points. The first one is that the earliest Christians believed that Christ was truly present in the Eucharist, that Christ was present, body and soul and spirit in the Eucharist. But they weren't really obsessed or that concerned with exactly how. Even up to the time of St. Augustine at the turn of the 5th century, there was just a sense that at the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer, there was bread and wine, and that by somehow, by the end of the Eucharistic prayer, Christ was truly present in those elements, body and soul and spirit. Now, for us today, that can be kind of hard to accept because we can't see it. It doesn't make sense to us. But that's okay. We just need to keep praying, telling God that we have a hard time understanding this, and to keep praying and to look at those early scriptures of Mark and Matthew and Luke and Paul and Hebrews that talk about Christ being truly present in the Eucharist. The other point is that it wasn't until 1,300 years later, approximately, that St. Thomas Aquinas came up with this idea of what we call transubstantiation. Maybe you studied about it in school. And it is a very technical kind of idea of how Christ may be present in the Eucharist. And Thomas Aquinas talked about when Christ became present in the Eucharist. It's all this Aristotelian philosophical language about matter and essences and accidents. And it's okay if you don't follow all that. But why do we care today about the differences between Augustinian Eucharistic theology and Thomistic Eucharistic theology? Well, there's one really good reason. And it's about whether you believe that the sacrament of Eucharist is a sacrament of union or a sacrament of division. I'm going to give you a hint. It's supposed to be a sacrament of union. Well, 
You may be surprised, as many Catholics are, to learn that many of our non-Catholic brothers and sisters also believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Yes, let me say that again. Many other Christians believe that Christ is truly present, body, soul, and spirit, in the Eucharist. You may have been told that they do not believe that. But most of our non-Catholic brothers and sisters do not believe in transubstantiation. That is a uniquely Catholic doctrine. So, if Eucharist is supposed to be a sacrament of unity, to celebrate unity that already exists among us, or the unity we are striving toward, then we will get a lot further in achieving that unity if we will talk with our non-Catholic brothers and sisters about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, rather than focusing on the technicalities of transubstantiation. In our first reading today, the people told Moses, we will do everything that the Lord has told us. And in our gospel reading today, Jesus, our Lord, said, take it, this is my body. As we take Christ into our hands and into our bodies at this Mass, may we become more like Christ. Christ.